Hey everyone, this is Joseph Bosco, pastor of Highway Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You know, all of us need the right kind of voices in our lives. Voices that inspire us to know the one who made us. Voices that awaken our divine destiny and reveal to us the goodness of God. Well, that's what this ministry is all about. So enjoy the message. you didn't know it you know I, I used to be in law enforcement so I'm always interested in regulations and so forth and in the state of Massachusetts like it is in most states it's illegal unlawful for a person to be buried in a cemetery if you live within five miles of it did you know that it's true you have to be dead Now you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But it's a joy to be with you. We're, we're just excited about all that God is doing. Excited about your church. Such a good spirit here. Amen. Amen. If you're in the area watching t- today and you've never been to Highway Church, you need to come here. Praise the Lord. I mean, these, these folks have it all. And uh, wonderful spirit, great anointing. Uh, you can just sense the love of God in this place, so. I'm having a good time being with you. I hope you're enjoying me as I'm enjoying you. Also want to make mention while I'm, thanks a lot. Thank you. Also want to mention it while I, uh, I'm thinking about it. On our product table out there, we have uh, a few of the uh, products, uh, CD, a CD, a few books and so forth uh, that we brought with us. Yeah, it's, it's all right. I, well, yeah, okay, I'll show them. We've got, we've got some of these things out there, um, a book called The Household of Faith, a CD, Look at the birds, a couple of books, one on uh, faith, one on the windows of heaven. Anyway, we are sowing all this material out there. So if you uh, see something out there you like, if you're here for the first time this morning and uh, you're enjoying our ministry and you want to go out there and take a look, then uh, I want to sow it into you free of charge. Praise the Lord. So, uh, yeah, amen. Feel free to take advantage of that. All right, you ready to get in the Word? Are you sure? Okay, let's open our Bibles today. First of all, let's go to uh, the book of 3 John, verse 2. 3 John, little book, packs a big punch. One chapter and the second verse. Verse 2 of 3 John. Beloved, I wonder who he's talking to there. That'd be you and me, wouldn't it? Now see, I know we're all believers in this place today because... We prayed the prayer of salvation a while ago. If you're here for the first time and you prayed that prayer, now you're part of the family. The Scripture tells us that as belonging to Christ, we are accepted in the Beloved. And so this is a letter written to the body of Christ. God deals, the Bible tells us, with three different classes of people. And it's important to know who He's talking to when you read the Word of God. He deals with the Jews. He deals with the Gentiles or the world. And he deals with the body of Christ. This letter, as most of the epistles are, written to the, all of the epistles really, written to the body of Christ. This is a personal letter from God to you. This is not, this is not a book. This is not just a history and, and, and writings of the, the ancient sages. This is an integrated message consisting of 66 books written by over 40 authors that came to us from outside our space-time continuum. It tells us not only what has happened, but it tells us what will happen. And that's proof that it had to come from somewhere other than mankind. Only God, the Ancient of Days, the Eternal One, sits in that place where He is he has, he as easily accesses tomorrow as he does today and so God can hear a prayer you prayed yesterday move ahead and make provision so that the answer comes today are you listening to me this book was written to every one of you and to me we know that because he said beloved this is his family he's talking to Now, if you were here yesterday, you know I told you that this is actually God's favorite New Testament scripture. 
3 John verse 2 said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Now we read that in old Elizabethan English and you know we kind of, we have a tendency to make it religious. But what God's saying is, look children, I wish you'd go ahead and prosper and be in health. I wish you'd just go on and prosper and be in health. In other words, take advantage of all that belongs to you. Glory to God. Now again, if he wishes it above all things, and some translations say, I pray above all things, so that would mean that this was a Holy Ghost-inspired prayer that John was writing down here. That would mean then that this is something that he wants more than anything else, above all things. And that's why I say this is God's New Testament favorite scripture. So meditate on these things and realize that God's highest and best for you is that you prosper and be in health. Now, that takes care of a lot of things. It also takes care of protection. Yes. It also takes care of deliverance. Yes. It also takes care of, you know, continued increase in every area of your life. Yes. It extends to your family. Yes. God cares about you and every aspect of your life. And he wants every aspect of your life to be prospering. I like to say it like this. You know, if you're driving around here in, um, in uh, wherever you're from, here in Massachusetts, here in New England, in your town, your city, and you saw a turtle sitting on top of a fence post, then whatever else you might think or assume, one thing you can know for sure, and that is that he didn't get there by himself. A turtle was not born nor equipped with the climbing gear that he needs. A cat sitting on a fence post wouldn't be any big deal. But if you saw a turtle sitting on top of a fence post, you'd know that he had to, help, had to have help to get there. God wants your life to look like a turtle on a fence post. He wants people to look at you and say, how did they do it? I know that guy. I went to school with that girl. They're not that smart. How did they do it? And that way, God gets the glory in our lives, and we get the benefit. So God says, I wish you'd just go on and prosper and be in health. Can you say amen? amen. Well, everybody say, here I am, Lord. I'm ready. Now, again, we understand that in order to enjoy the benefits of God's redemption, it takes faith. And this weekend, we're using this as a, as a little bit of a faith tune-up, if that's all right. Uh, in case any of you, your faith's running rough or your life's running rough, we're just going to tune it up a little here, here with a, a few points and uh, get you on the way, praise the Lord, Amen. where things are running smooth. Amen. That'd be all right? Yes. And so yesterday we looked at the will of God and we talked about how important the will of God is. And um, today I want you to notice this again about how that he wishes you'd prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now there's the caveat as your soul prospers. Now, your, th your soul, just to boil it down, make it simple, is your thinking, all right? Your thinking, your thinking affects your, uh, well, your emotions affect your thinking and your decisions. Your thinking affects your decisions. And so it's not just a matter of faith. You've got to think right. Yes, I learned a long time ago, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, that if you'll learn to think like God thinks and talk like God talks, you can live like God lives. And he sent Jesus to prove that because that's all Jesus did. He was God in the flesh as well as man, 100% God, 100% man. He thought like God thought. He talked like God talked. He acted like God acted because he said, I only do those things which I see my father do. And he lived like God would live if he was a man on the earth. And he did this as an example to you and me. Jesus never knew any lack. He never knew defeat. He always, he saw increase. His ministry grew and built. He grew. He had favor with the people. He had opposition from the, the controllers, the ones that wanted to dominate and, 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 and subjugate mankind. And then he had it all up until he let go of it and, and committed himself to the work on the cross. And he did that for you and me. So he did things as an example, and then he did things as a substitute. It's important to know the difference between the two. And our thinking affects. 
I dare say that there's enough faith in here in this room alone to raise the Titanic. There's no problem with your faith. If you've been at this longer than a week, I'm here to tell you, if you've, if you've been to this church half a dozen times, you've heard enough word to strengthen and build faith to cause you to be victorious in every aspect of life. Amen. But the problem we run into sometimes is our thinking. See, our thinking talks us out of being doers of the word, of daring to embrace the, the, the promises of God. And so let's, let's, let's delve into this a little bit. And let me share something with you about faith that I believe will help you. Now go with me back to the book of uh, Luke's gospel, the 13th chapter. I want to read to you one of my favorite healing testimonies in the life of Jesus. My favorite for a number of reasons. We'll re begin reading here in verse 10. Ready? Luke 13, 10. And Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Now look at what Jesus said, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Old English, but we'd say, Woman, you're free from this spirit of infirmity. You're free from this bondage. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Hallelujah. Now here comes the devil. Verse 14, And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. wonder why he didn't do something the day before. All he can do is pick fault with the day that Jesus chose to bring blessing into this woman's life. Right, right. Verse 15, the Lord then answered him and said, You hypocrite. Man, I like Jesus' style. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Verse 16, now underline this in your Bible. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done, done by him. So you got this picture, the woman, sick, 18 years, bowed over, some kind of condition where she couldn't straighten up. And Jesus shows up on the Sabbath day. In other words, he, he's in church on the appointed day. That's a good place to be. If you want to find Jesus, then show up in church on the Sabbath day. That is the New Testament equivalent on Sunday. That's where you'll find him. Some people look for him on the lake. Some people look for him in the mountains. He's in church. I'll just give you that inside tip. That's where you'll find him. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So it, he's not hard to find. And, and, and this is something else. I mean, let's just take a little side journey here, share something with you. I was, uh, now I, I mentioned I, I'm enjoying my time up here. And one of the things I like is the cold, the, the, the um, uh, snow and all that. It's kind of a novelty. I mean, I see a lot of it. We were in Colorado for a week last month skiing, but I, I like the snow. We don't get much of it at home. And one of the reasons I like winter is because I love a fire. Oh, man, I love a, a wood fire. I love a fire. I'd keep a fire going all year long if I could. Sometimes I turn the air conditioner on and build a fire just because <laughs> just I like the atmosphere of it so much. Well, the other day, I had a fire going at, at home and I've got this grate that I found. I think they make it up in Maine somewhere. But it's, uh, it, it's, it's, if you look at it from the side, it's kind of shaped like a funnel. Instead of just a flat grate that you put wood on, it's called the Great Wall of Fire. And um, it, it, it funnels wood. You, you know, <clears throat> coals are where you get your heat, yeah. not the flames. It's the coals. And so the way this thing is designed, you put wood in it, and it burns, and, and you'll get about that much vertical uh, exposure of the cold so it really radiates out into the room and you put wood on top and as the the wood burns you know it, it's able to go down and as it becomes coals so you got a lot more coals exposed in this grate than you do um i'm, I'm glad i can teach you new england or something about fire you got a lot more coals exposed in this particular grate than you would just an ordinary flat grate well anyway i'm putting wood on the fire to keep it hot i dropped some 
logs and some uh, split wood on top. And when I did, the jarring of it as I dropped it into the grate caused a piece of wood that was just red hot to be kicked out onto the, the brick uh, floor of the fireplace. And I'm, I'm looking at that, and I'm, I'm getting the wood, and I'm thinking, all right, I'll get the tongs and pick that up. But I watched it, and that coal, as it fell out, the instant that it fell out of that fire, out of the, that bed of coals, it started to go cooler. It turned from orange back to black, and then the gray. You could see the grass. Now, before, it was bright, bright orange, radiating heat. And that fell out, and I, I was just looking at it, not thinking of anything. The Lord said, that's the picture of the believer who disconnects from the fellowship of others who are hot for God. And he said the only cure for that is to get back into that fellowship. Now, human nature runs when something's going wrong, when you've done something wrong, when everything hadn't gone right or whatever, when you're, when you're under attack. You tend to want to pull aside like an old dog and lick his wounds and not be around anybody. But God has created these red-hot fellowships in order to keep the devil at bay. Are you listening? Flies don't land on a hot stove. And you'll never see an animal or a critter land in that hot, hot bed of fire of coals. And so it's important to have a fellowship, a company of believers that are hot for God and stay as tight as you can. And when problems come along, that's the time to pull in tighter and get hot. You cannot remain hot for God by yourself. Thank you for your enthusiasm, but it's true nonetheless. You cannot, no believer can maintain that kind of hotness for God without the company of others who are people of faith, who are people of, uh, that'll encourage you, the people that'll hook up with you and pray with you. Oh, my goodness. It's just, it's, it's just a fact. Amen. People that say, I don't need a church, obviously have never had a church. Not the kind I'm talking about. Because you can create a corporate atmosphere. You can, you can get a church so hot. And I'm not talking about any kind of an outward thing. I'm talking about the, just the, the, the level of faith and the understanding of redemption where people just walk in and they're overwhelmed by the goodness of God. They just sit out there in the, in the seats and get healed. Praise God. Amen. I mean, God wants his church. God wants Highway Church to be a church like that and to stay a church like that. So stay in that hot coals, and, and, and it'll, keep, it'll keep the curse where it belongs, under your feet. Can you say amen? <clears throat> so let's get back over here into church, all right? Jesus is at church. And so he calls this woman over to him and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. You are loosed. Now, a lot of people have problems with the tenses of some things in the Word of God, the way they're written. And when you get over in the area of faith, you find people that kind of, you know, they stumble at this. Well, now, wait a minute. Do I say I am healed or well, what, what is my confession supposed to be? I believe I have it or I have, you know. And, and here's, I'm, I'm going to explain some of this to you today and settle your minds on these things so you don't ever have another problem with it. <clears throat> Jesus said, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Well, again, the religious guys, religious devils rose up and uh, challenged him for healing the woman on the wrong day. And Jesus called him what he was, a hypocrite, and then said, Ought not this woman, verse 16, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Several things here that excite me. Number one, first of all, no matter how long a situation has existed, when Jesus shows up, it's subject to change. 18 years this woman struggled. Didn't matter to Jesus. Secondly, he tells us who the culprit is, whom Satan hath bound. Right. Acts 10:38, how God, how Jesus went about, how, excuse me, how the spirit of the, how the Lord anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. All oppression is of the devil. Say it out loud. All oppression is of the devil. God never oppresses. He's not the oppressor. Are you here? He's the deliverer from oppression. 
Jesus was the express image of God. If you see Jesus doing it, that's God. All right? Then he does something else that I really, this is where we want to get to. He plays a card that there is no trump over. This is the trump card. He said, ought not this woman. Now, that's a good, that's a good point, too. Ought not this woman. According to Jesus, there is a way that things ought to be. And somebody says, well, this is going on in my life. Well, it ought not be going on as far as God's concerned. God, there is a way that God looks at it that things ought to be. And then Jesus showed up to set them right. And he played this card that I'm referring to that I call the covenant card. He said, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. When he invoked Abraham, what he's doing is he's invoking the covenant that these people are operating under. You understand everything God does in the earth, everything he does in his relationship with man is covenant-based. Everything, everything is based on covenant. And we have a new and better covenant established on better promises. But they had a covenant too, the Abrahamic covenant. And you know the covenant, how God sought Abraham out and found him in Ur of the Chaldees and made this offered him the, the opportunity to enter in this covenant, and he did. And now then it affected all of his seed and all of his offspring. And now then we're here thousands of years later, and this is one of the seed of Abraham. And Jesus said, this ought not be because she's a daughter of Abraham. Now, do I have to remind you of Galatians 3.13 and through the end of the chapter that says, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? So this same rationale applies to you and me. As the seed of Abraham, we are heirs according to the promise. Amen. Now, when Jesus played the Abraham card, he did something that I want to expand on. Go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You're all familiar with this scripture. But Hebrews 11, 1, verse, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You mentioned you've got translations back there. Can you put the Amplified translation up? Hebrews 11, 1. Amplified. There's a word in here I want you to see. Notice this. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed. Everybody say title deed. deed. Of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Note that title deed. Let's talk about a title deed for a minute. How many of y'all drove to church this morning? I hope you didn't have to walk in this cold. How many of you drove your own car to church this morning? Yeah, you did? You, you drive your own car to church? Yeah. Um, is that car paid for? Wonderful, wonderful. So you actually drove your own car to church. Anybody here drive a car to church that not paid for? Huh? Okay, here's one over here. With all of these automobiles in the parking lot and every car in America, there is a document associated with it called the title deed right? And that title deed is what shows who owns the car. Now, in the case of this lady over here who drove a car that is not paid for, if you financed it through some kind of a lending institution, a bank or a loan company, then I don't know how they do it up here, but down south, they keep the title. They maintain possession of the title, see, because it's that document that determines the ownership of that vehicle. So actually, she's, she didn't drive in her car. She drived in their car. Because when you go to the car lot or any kind of automobile transaction, the car dealership does not finance you. They have another company. They get their money. The lending institution pays them and then they work out a deal with you where you get to drive that car as long as you're making the payments on time. You get to drive that car. You get to use the car, but it's not yours until you've paid for it. So once again, the title deed. 
Now, the reason I bring this out is because some people in there thinking about faith. They've heard about the Amplified Translation and the title deed. And wake up back there, Amber. And uh, they've heard about, they've heard about the, the title deed and, and its relationship to faith, but they get it backwards because they think faith gives them the title deed to what it is that they want. When in fact, it's exactly the opposite. It is the title deed that is the basis for faith, for Bible faith. Because the title deed determines ownership. Now, we want to make a distinction between owning something and possessing something. You see? There's a difference, obviously. Because she possesses a car that she doesn't fully own. You may call her a part owner in it because she's paid for it. But really, legally, until it's completely paid off, they can come get it if you default on your payments. Even if you've paid 99% of it and only owe 1% of it, it's still their car until they stamp it and paid in full. Everybody see that? All right. So there's different arrangements here that are probably existing in this. There are some that are driving a car that they own. So you could say they own it and they possess it. Here's a case of somebody who possesses it but doesn't own it. You could be driving a borrowed car. You could be in possession of it and not own it. You could own a car that you've loaned to somebody, and they could be in possession of it when, in fact, you own it. Again, it's the title deed that determines the ownership. All right? Now, we've got a, two, a twofold thing to understand here when it comes to faith and, and possessing and enjoying the benefits of God. There's the ownership side of things, and then there's the possession side of things. And most people, when they're thinking in terms of or believing for something and, you know, discussing the matter of, okay, I'm believing for my healing or believing for the manifestation of this prayer that I've asked for, the reason I'm bringing this out is because it's so important that you understand the relationship between these things because if you think that faith gives you the title to it, you're wrong. You got it backwards. It is because the title is clear and clean that you can have faith for something. It's knowing who owns what and what belongs to who and and when that is the very basis for faith. For instance, somebody says, well, you know, I know if I've got enough faith, I can be healed. Well, now let me... Let's, let's distinguish here. If you mean in an ownership sense, you're wrong because faith can never make something yours in possession that does not already belong to you as an owner. You see what I'm saying? Now, this affects your attitude is the reason that it's important. Now, you drove your car and it's yours, you said, you own it. Um, what's your name? That's correct. Uh, <laughs> you drove your car. If you were to go outside after the service was over and go to the spot where you parked your car and found an empty parking place and some broken glass lay it, what would your reaction to that be? Would you say, I know you're a sweet lady. I met you yesterday. I mean, you're, 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 you're precious. But, but at the same time, you know, you poke the mama bear. Sometimes they can be the fiercest. And, uh, and, and I, just, I just can't believe that you'd go out there and look at that and say, hmm, oh, well. I guess it wasn't the Lord's will that I drive home today. Or, or, or he wouldn't have allowed somebody to steal my car. Is that what you would have said? No. I can tell by looking at you, you wouldn't have said that. I mean, she didn't even hesitate. No, no, I'm not. You're not me. That's what she was, the look on her face. And and, and you wouldn't wouldn't have, have ascribed it to some thing that God was trying to teach you about. You'd have said, you'd have resisted the urge to say something wrong. <laughs> then you'd have come in or taken your cell phone and called the police. 
and you'd have told the police, get down here. Find my car. Some knothead is out there driving around in my car that I bought and that I paid for. And they're out there doing donuts in a snowy parking lot somewhere. And I want you to go bring them in and bring my car back. And I want you to do it now. Lee, you'd call the police and you'd say, get out of that donut shop. Get out of that coffee house and get your sorry self down here. <laughs> To enforce the law and you should have been driving by and watching this in the first place. In some form or fashion, you'd have had that attitude, right? You might have been nicer about it, but you'd have still had the attitude. You know what that attitude is? It's an ownership attitude. Now, if you were driving a rental car and you went out there and saw that, you'd just get on your phone and call Hertz and say, hey, y'all got a problem. Because it's not yours. You feel differently about something that's yours than you do something that's somebody else's. You got a rental. You know, I mean, I was, I was in, a, in a different lifetime. I was in law enforcement. And, and uh, so we used to, that's where I learned to drive on snow and ice, you know, because we'd be out working night shift. Nobody's out there. So we just play with those patrol cars. And uh, we learned to do eh, confession. And we learned to do, we learned, I learned how to do bat turns and things like that where you're driving down and you stomp the emergency brake and spin it around, do a 180, and then take off another direction. We, we, we did all that stuff. Just, just saying. So I like to practice that from time to time, but I only do that in a rental car. I travel a lot, and I, I rent a lot of cars. I got this car rented. I, you know, let's, let's practice our skills. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you feel me, huh? Do you feel me? So, uh, but I don't treat my own car like that. I take care of my car, you know, and I, I, I watch it. I make sure everything's, I park in not tight spaces because I don't like door dings and all that. An ownership attitude is a different attitude, right? And that's what you have there in relating to this car that you own. Now, <clears throat> if you bought that car if you worked for, excuse me, for years and saved up or, or, you know, paid payments over years and bought it, you'd have that attitude because I worked for this car. But let's say somebody loved you and gave you that car. Would you have any less love and affection for it? Would, would you treat it any less like your own? No, as a matter of fact, a lot of times it's more important to you because somebody loves you, it's got a sentimental value. Now, if that had been a car that your husband had given you for an anniversary and you went out there, now you'd really be, you'd really be. Oh, oh yeah, wait a minute. No, that's, that's my baby there that my baby gave me. Uh-uh, we're going to get this back. And you'd probably get out and ride around and look for it yourself. And you'd always be on the lookout, driving and looking in the alleys and all that because that's your car, right? All right, now, that is not only an ownership attitude, Listen closely, that's a faith attitude. Because faith understands that the price for your healing was paid. Now, in the Old Covenant, they were on a, a, a promissory note, so to speak. They were on, let's, let's call it an interest-only loan. Sin had brought a debt on mankind that man could not pay. But God in his love made covenant, and with the Old Testament saints, the nation of Israel, he said, if you'll sacrifice these animals, the blood being a type, of course, something so important that people need to understand, the blood is everything. If you'll sacrifice these animals and shed their blood, then we'll count that as the interest on the note, and your sins will be forgiven and washed away for a whole year. They did that on the Day of Atonement, all right? Everything, everything bad was washed away by that animal blood. But the principle on the note still remained. When Jesus came, his blood, because it was so unique and so precious, it was not only the blood of man, but it was the blood of God. It took the blood of man to satisfy the note, but it took spotless, sinless blood 
to satisfy the note, which no other man could do. That's why the Bible calls his blood the precious blood. Born again by the precious blood, washed in the precious blood of Jesus because there's just one source for it. There was one man among all the billions and billions of human beings that have been born since Adam that could satisfy that, that note. And Jesus willingly gave his life and shed his blood for it. All right? Now then, that paid the principal. All right? Now, whoever pays for something owns it. Right? Whoever pays for it, whoever goes up and puts the money down, that's who owns it. So Jesus paid for it, so who owned it? Jesus did. But then Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, sat down at the right hand of God, and then invited you to come in. And when you did, when you accepted him as Lord, he then titled everything in redemption to you. So now then, you and I hold the title deed. How, do, how can I say that? This is it. This is it. Just one illustration. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this illustrates what I'm talking about. Verse 21. 1 Corinthians 3. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. And he shows us our relationship. We are wrapped up and tangled up so tightly that you cannot unravel it. There's an old mythology about a Gordian knot that was a knot tied so tight that no person, no being could untangle it. That's the kind of knot that we're in with Jesus and with the Father God. You can't tell one where one starts and the other one stops. We are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are one with Christ. That's not, that's not a, 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 an illustration. That is a reality. We are one with Christ. His armor, his clothing fits me. And as such, I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Everything that belongs to him now belongs to me. That's the nature of a covenant. If it's his, it's mine. And rightly so, if it's mine, it's his. But the thing is, he doesn't need what the devil will tell you he thinks he, need, that, that, that he, thinks he needs. What he needs is you. Your voice, your hands, your feet, because you are his body. And it's through you that he operates in this earth. Hence, that illustration, he wants your life to look like a devil, I mean like a turtle on a fence post. He wants people to look at you and say, man, I want me some of that. I want that kind of life. I want that kind of peace. Yeah. I've had people walk up to my wife. Now, my wife, she's, a, she's, a, she's just a, a jewel. This year in October, we've been married 50 years. Yeah. I know I don't look that old, but we were both young when we were born. So we, um, <laughs> she, 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 she's a woman of peace. She's a woman of prayer. And it, it happens so often, it's just laughable. People will walk up to her in the holiday season. She'll be in the store looking, you know, shopping, and people will walk up to her in the hectic and, uh, you know, agitated atmosphere of Christmas shopping and holiday, you know, all that stuff. And it, it hadn't happened once, twice, three times. It's probably happened a dozen times over the years. Strangers walk up to her and say, there is such peace on you. What is that? She just smiles and tells them, it's Jesus. You know, I belong to him. I hadn't got a care in the world. I'm the same way. I don't have a care in the world. Look here. You see any care in these eyes? I don't have a care. I'm blessed of the Lord. 
I've learned, I've learned what belongs to me. Now, <clears throat> we need to have that same ownership attitude, that same attitude and spirit of faith about our redemption. But in order to do that, you've got to know what belongs to you. And that's why, again, the Word of God, the written Word of God is so important. It tells you what Jesus did. Now, if Jesus did it, he did it because he wanted you to have it. Pure, pure and simple. If, if it's in redemption, it belongs to you now. So you hear people say, well, if I, you know, if I have enough faith, I know I, I know I can be healed. In the ownership sense, it's belonged to you for 2,000 years. Right. It's belonged to you since you became a believer. Right. If you mean in the possessing it, all right, now then, that's where faith comes in. It's faith possesses what already belongs to you. Now, you know, one of the old covenant Ten Commandments was not to covet your neighbor's wife or property or anything like that. You know, the Ten Commandments, I mean, they've been fulfilled, but that still holds true. It's wrong for you to want and try to take what belongs to somebody else. Faith won't do that. Faith won't get you what belongs to somebody else. Faith only gets you what belongs to you. But when you know what belongs to you, you realize, I don't need what somebody else has got. I've already got a storehouse, a supply that is limitless. Praise God. I saw years ago, I passed a place called Unclaimed Luggage. I guess, and I don't understand it, but somehow or another the airlines and the trains and, you know, transportation people like that wind up with luggage that they don't know who it belongs to. And I guess they hold it for a little while, and then after that they'll send it to a, a place that'll open it up and sell stuff. Unclaimed luggage. Do you know <laughs> the spirit realm has a store like that? Everything you need. Everything you want in life has already been bought, paid for, titled to you, your name's on the luggage tag, and it's just sitting there waiting for somebody to come claim it. And the thing is, nobody but you can claim it because it's yours. You've got to have ID to claim something. What's your name? Uh, I'm in him. Oh, yeah, that's the name on the, yeah. on the luggage. In him. Child of God. A number of years ago, this would have been, <clears throat> well, 25 years ago because my 25th wedding anniversary. My wife, we were riding motorcycles at the time, and I had this Harley Road King that we rode a lot, but she wanted to do something special for me. She's, just, she's always been like this. And no, she doesn't have any sisters. And uh, I've been asked that. Your wife got any sisters? She does. They're all in heaven. Or she's in heaven. Anyway, um, my wife on her 25th anniversary gave me a 97th, I think it was 97th anniversary Harley Davidson full bagger. Uh, you know, that's the, the, the big touring bike. And it had a custom paint job and all that. And she saved her money and went over to Atlanta and bought it and gave it to me for our 25th anniversary. She said, she set the bar pretty high for anniversaries, I'm taking. <laughs> so, so anyway, we rode the motorcycle for years and enjoyed it. And then the time came after a few years that we weren't riding as much. And so <clears throat> I had some other things that I wanted to use some money for. My daughter was getting married, and I told her if she'll do things right, I'll throw her a party, and she never let me forget that. So... <laughs> We had a wedding to pay for, and it was quite the wedding. So anyway, I sold my Road King and some other stuff, but when I thought about selling that motorcycle, I just couldn't do it because it, it meant something to me. It had a, uh, you know, uh, sim uh, what's the word, huh? Sentimental. Sentimental. I was trying to say sympathetic. A sentimental value to it. It had a sentimental value to it. And uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to sow this. 
this is going to be a seed. I'm going to plant a seed for a harvest. So I asked the Lord, Lord, show me somebody to sow this motorcycle to. I want to give it to somebody that, that you know, appreciate it and enjoy it. Well, I was, a few months later, I was down in Miami, Florida at one of Brother Hagin's meetings at Stan Morris Church. And they set me on the front row. And I'm waiting for the service to start. And in comes Ed Dufresne. Y'all know who Ed Dufresne was? He's in heaven now, but he was one of my dearest friends for years. Ed came in because they knew we were close friends. They sat him beside me. So we're talking. I hadn't seen him in a while. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Good. All, all is well. You know, he's in California. I'm in Alabama, so you're, we're, we're miles apart uh, where we live, but we meet at these meetings. So I, the conversation came around. I said, hey, you still got your motorcycle. He had like a Honda or a something, you know, a, 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 wasn't, wasn't a real motorcycle. And so I said, you, you got your motorcycle? And he said, nah, I sold it. I said, you did? He said, yeah, I sold it for a Harley. Well, when he said that, I knew that's, that's where my motorcycle's going. I was scheduled to preach for him the next month. And uh, Pastor Joe, I uh, took it to a motorcycle shop, had it serviced. Then I had them crate it up and ship it to Southern California where I was going to be, so they'd be there waiting on me. And uh, I took the title with me when I went out there. We uncrated it, put the title in the tour pack, the, the, the luggage thing on the back. And uh, then I built a service around it because I wanted to honor him. Uh, he was one of my teachers and mentors, and I just really loved him. And so I talked about the double honor and how you take care of your man of God and, the man, and, and God will take care of you. I mean, you really want to get something from God, take care of your man of God. So I just built a service about honor and sowing and all that. And then at the strategic moment in the service, they wheeled it in and I presented it to him. And it was a, it was a great service, you know, just had a great time. <clears throat> so I forgot about it. I, I, I gave it to him. I had signed the title and put it in the tour pack. And now the motorcycle says, cause I gave it to him. Well, about a year and a half, two years later, I'm sitting in my office in Alabama and the receptionist called me and said, uh, hey, there's a policeman on the phone who wants to talk to you. I said, about what? I said, I don't know. So she said, I don't know. I, okay, put him through. So I picked up the phone, and he said, this is uh, uh, Detective so-and-so with the Bullhead City, Arizona Police Department. Bullhead City? I'd never been to Bullhead City at that point, but he's Bullhead City Police Department. Yeah? What can I do for you? He said, well, there's a motorcycle here, here, sitting here in the Walmart parking lot. And it's registered to you, and I'd like to know what it, why it's here and what are your intentions. I said, a motorcycle registered to me? Yeah. I said, well, uh, I don't know. I said, um, give me a number. I'm going to have to get back to you. He described the motorcycle. I knew which one it was, and it was that one. So I called Ed, and I said, hey, Doc, what, uh, that motorcycle I gave you, what, what, what happened to it? He said, well, I gave it away to another guy that uh, was putting a lot of, uh, he, I wanted to bless him because he'd been a blessing to me, you know, in, in some ways. And I just, I gave it to him. And, and besides that, my son's teenage right now, and I don't want him riding that motorcycle. <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't care. I mean, it was his motorcycle to do with whatever he wanted to. So I said, oh, okay. So <clears throat> I called this uh, sergeant back, this detective back, and we're talking about it. And I said, well, uh, I, I gave that motorcycle away a long time ago. But, um, you know, I, 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 I honestly, Pastor, I didn't know what to do. Because as far as I was concerned, it wasn't my motorcycle anymore. I'd given it away. <clears throat> but what had happened was Brother Ed had never transferred title. He'd never taken that title to the courthouse and had it transferred to his name. Then when he gave it away, that guy never did anything with it. So that motorcycle, and, and the guy that had the motorcycle then he got in trouble with the Securities and Exchange Commission, and he wound up getting arrested, went to prison, and they confiscated everything that he had. So somebody had driven that motorcycle to the Walmart parking lot and parked it in Bullhead City, Arizona. And I don't even know who did that. I guess it was the guy that he'd given it to. So I'm sitting there scratching my head. All right, Lord, now wait a minute. I, I, I need to get clear on this. I gave that motorcycle away. As far as I'm concerned, it's not mine. But they're telling me, to come, you know, am I going to come get it? I said, do you want me to come get it, to, to go out there and get it? And the Holy Ghost spoke to me just as clear. He said, son, 
you're the only one that has the legal right to go out there and get it. I said, I'm gone. So I called a buddy of mine. We bought a ticket on Southwest Airlines. I, at that time, I was between airplanes. I didn't have my own. So I, I bought, uh, we bought a ticket on Southwest Airlines. The next morning, flew to Phoenix, Arizona, rented a car, drove west to the state line, turned north, and about midnight, we pulled into Bullhead City, Arizona. We drove around, found the parking lot, and there in the parking lot was my motorcycle. And it was all by itself in the middle of the parking lot, and it was like a heaven was shining, light from heaven was shining down on it, and you could hear the angels going, ah. We drove up there. I tried to crank it. It didn't have a key, but the ignition was not locked, so I turned it on, tried to start it. The battery was dead. So we went and got a hotel that night. Next morning, when Walmart opened up, we drove over there. I bought a battery at Walmart and a screwdriver, and I changed the battery out right there in the parking lot, turned it on, cranked it up, fired right up. I drove it to a motorcycle shop, and they crated it up, and I had them ship it back to my house. And I named, I named that motorcycle Isaac. Because just like Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain and he came, it came back, he came back home, that motorcycle came back home to me. And the whole thing, the whole thing was about a title. Because the title never left my name. My ownership of that motorcycle was never interrupted. It was mine all the time. And I didn't even know it. Because I thought... It was somebody else. You can understand, I mean, where I'm coming from. So I brought the motorcycle home, you know, and had it serviced and got it in primo shape, run, run, rode it some more. And then I found another guy, a pastor in Sacramento, California, who at that time was riding and he was enjoying it. So I gave him that motorcycle <laughs> and I gave him some other gear and I told him, now listen, I'm going to tell you something about this motorcycle. If you don't title it, in your name and treat it right, it's going to come home to me. He said, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I guess he did because I hadn't seen it or heard from it since. But there that motorcycle was sitting in a parking lot. There your healing is sitting in a parking lot. There your prosperity is sitting in a parking lot. There your deliverance is sitting in a parking lot. And some people don't even know it belongs to them. They think they got to work something up, some kind of faith feeling or faith, you know, uh, experience or and, and it's already yours. It's already yours. And, and when you know something is yours, the point of this is when you know something's yours, it'll give you a boldness to possess it. If God's already given it to you, there's nothing to, to, to argue with him about. There's nothing to talk him into. If he's already provided it, it's yours. Everybody say it's mine. Redemption is mine. Now, do you know what redemption is? That's what your Bible's for, yeah. to learn every aspect and every nuance of redemption. And then you've also got the Holy Ghost living on the inside of you to help you navigate the waters and avoid all the stumps and all the reefs and all the rocks and all the things that would shipwreck your boat. So with the help of the written title deed, our, our, the terms of our covenant and the Holy Ghost, now then, it's time for you to possess some things. Are y'all here or not? Yeah. 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 Amen. Amen. Or in some cases, you need to repossess some things. Okay. Stuff's been stolen from you. Another story. A minister friend of mine, he had a ministry down in, uh, it was an hour and a half south of my city. I was on his board. His name was Mac Gobert. I don't know, some of y'all may have heard of him. Mac was an old uh, uh, Navy SEAL, an ex-Hells uh, Angel. And uh, he got saved. He's just the biggest teddy bear. And he had a ministry that ministered to former drug addicts and guys that, you know, down and outers. So one day he asked me to come down there and teach. They had uh, Bible school every day. And he asked me to come down and teach, and then we were going to go to lunch. So I went down. I'm dressed uh, in a sport coat and a tie and, you know, just uh, slacks. And I took another uh, Rama grad, friend of mine who's in ministry, and he was basing out of my church. So we went down there, and he was dressed like me. Mac always wore blue jeans and, you know, chain drive belt, uh, I mean, billfold, and, you know, dressed like an old biker. 
And, and uh, so we talked that morning. And then I was driving, I think I was driving an Explorer at that time, uh, like you, and I, uh, we, we took my vehicle. I'm driving down into downtown Montgomery. And my uh, minister friend sitting in the front and Mac is in the back. So we pull up or we exit the freeway on our way to the restaurant and I had already noticed that there's this Toyota pickup truck in front of me. It's black and the reason I noticed it was because the tail, the, the letters on the, the tailgate which said Toyota, T-O was blacked out and T-A was blacked out and it just said yo. That's what the tailgate said. It pulled up behind it. It said, yo. Well, I took notice of that. So we pulled up, came to a stop, waiting on the traffic light to change, and Max said, follow that truck. Well, when he said that, I don't know, the old police juices just started flowing again, and I didn't even ask why. I just, okay. So I'm, I'm tailing that truck, a couple of car lengths behind, you know, and it's winding through different places, going, going down toward the hood, and uh, you know. And as we're going, he tells me the story. One of his students at the school was a, a young guy that when, when you first came there, when you first came on campus, you had to stay there for six weeks, couldn't leave. And, if, and he had a lot of judges that actually sentenced prisoners to that place or go to jail. So it was a, it was a great ministry. So this kid had, I think he was about 20 years old, he had left on a furlough that weekend. This was a Monday. And the weekend before, he had left on a furlough, the first time he'd been out. Well, while he was out, he ran into one of his old drug buddies. And the guy said he owed him some money, so he just strong-arm robbed him of his truck and took it away from him. Just threatened, I'll kid you if you don't. And so he, you know, gave it up. So he was all despondent when he came back, you know, uh, that Monday morning. And, and uh, Max said, what's wrong, bud? And he told him, he said, well, I'll tell you what, let's just pray. Let's just watch God get you that truck back so they prayed and asked God to bring that truck home all right now that's the truck we pulled up behind that's yo you with me all right so I'm tailing yo through the hood so the guy drove the truck just one guy in the truck the guy drove the truck down into this part of town not not a good part of town and did a u-turn and pulled up on the opposing curb to get out so he's facing the opposite way now well old police trick I just swerved over and pulled up in front of him close enough to where he couldn't drive out around me he'd have to back up to get around me so I just pulled up facing him Mac jumped out of the back of the truck walked over to him to the driver's uh, window and said hey uh, he, he took his wallet out and flashed I think it was an Autogaville Volunteer Fireman's Badge or something like that. <laughs> Flash that badge at him, put it back up, and said, um, I need to see some identification. You can see this guy. I mean, he's, oh, okay. He, all he saw was the badge. So he pulls out his ID and hands it to him. He said, uh, uh, who owns this truck? This, not, this truck's not registered to you. And the guy starts, well, uh, you know, and, and, and Mac told him, he said, no, this truck, <clears throat> this truck is uh, uh, being impounded because it's involved in some, some drug cases and all that. So get your stuff out. We're going to have to impound this truck. Well, the guy looked, and for just the briefest minute, because I'm looking at him, I could see this flash in his eyes like, wait a minute. I could see a fight rising up in him. So I told my guy, in the, I'm still in the driver's seat, He's still in the passenger seat. We're dressed like this, but not a suit, just a sport coat tie. I said, do what I do. I'm wearing my aviator sunglasses. I've been told, I was told at a wedding, I mean at a funeral one time, I was just standing there at the funeral. I wasn't doing the funeral. I was standing there at the funeral, and this lady walked up to me, and she said, are you with the FBI? I said, no, ma'am, I'm a preacher. She said, you look like you're with the FBI. I guess I just got the look. I don't know. But anyway, I said, do what I do. I got my Ray-Ban aviators on and dressed like this. So I stepped, opened the door, and I stepped out into the street like this and put my hand right here. So he watched me, and he did the same thing. He ran over. Now, the guy saw us get out like this. 
He didn't know I was just scratching my rear. <laughs> but when he saw us, all the fight went out of it. So he gathered his stuff up and picked it up and got out of the truck and walked, did the walk of shame into the house. <laughs> Matt got his, the, they got in the truck. We drove to the restaurant, had lunch, and then we went back. And can you imagine the, 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 the guy, the kid, that morning had prayed the prayer, and now then his truck comes driving in to the ministry. Man, it was a celebration. Glory to God. But now here's the thing. Here's the thing. The reason that we had the boldness to do that was because we knew who the owner of that truck was, and we were representing him. That's what gave us the boldness and, if you will, the right to do that because that guy had stolen the truck. He's driving stolen property. And though we weren't officially law enforcement, we're still good citizens. Exercising our rights, our property rights, in behalf of the true owner. Are you listening to me? Now, that's the attitude that every one of you needs to develop where the devil's concerned where the curse is concerned, where lack is concerned, where the, the devil running rampant in your kids or your grandkids are concerned. You need to get some attitude. The Bible calls it the spirit of faith. The spirit of faith. The spirit of faith is an ownership attitude. It's like the problem comes up and the spirit of faith says, yeah, what does the word say? What does the word say? Whose report will you believe? We believe the report of the Lord. We're not easily shaken. Are you listening? Glory to God. It all belongs to you. Every bit of it. Righteousness is yours. You're standing with God. Your health and your healing. Your prosperity. Child of God, faith takes what Jesus has done and possesses it, possesses it and lives in the benefit of it. Praise God. So I, I leave you this morning with, uh, get some attitude, would you? Good, good. Yes, good. Quit whining where the devil's concerned. Come on. Wondering, well, I don't understand why God did this. God didn't do it. The devil did it. So get some attitude where the devil's concerned and tell him like Je Jesus showed us how to handle him. Come out of him. Drop dead. That's the attitude of faith. Humility toward God, understanding that he loved us so much he gave us this, but the authority in this earth is ours. A lot of people get hung up on the sovereignty of God, but remember this, the sovereignty of God in your life is in your mouth. It's whoever you give license to with your faith that's going to be sovereign in your life. So now write this down, and I close with this. God told me to tell you. He said, tell my people that nothing is too good for you. And only the best is good enough. Did you get that? I'll say it again. God wants you to know that nothing is too good for you and only the best is good enough. One more time. Nothing is too good for you and only the best is good enough. Meditate on that. Begin to develop an attitude of thankfulness. That's another aspect of the spirit of faith. Just thanking God, the victory is one. Amen. Y'all get anything this morning? All right. Glory to God. Now tonight we're going to wrap this up. And as I said yesterday, we'll lay hands on people that uh, desire to have hands laid on them. For We'll just see which way the Lord goes tonight. Glory to God. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes just a moment? Let's see if there's anything here that the Lord would have me to cover.
to do. Glory to God. We prayed a while ago, so I know we're all believers. We're all part of the family of God. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We give you praise. Let's just, let's just praise Him for a minute. Thank Him for, for what He's done for us. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. Glory to God. We give you glory, honor, and praise. Hallelujah. Bless your holy name. We exalt the name of Jesus today. The name that's above every name. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, I uh, uh, called you out a minute ago. Uh, your wife, Jim, your wife. And uh, I, I was uh, interacting with you a while ago. Is there something, y'all, you guys are believing for a house? Have you asked God for a house or another house or something like that? The Lord told me to tell you, uh, hold your ground, it's coming. He's got a house for you. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you something else, Pastor. He's got a house for this congregation. And <clears throat> it's, already, it's already provided. It's already provided. And the Lord told me some time back, he said, tell my pastors they can expect the gift of faith to operate where their buildings are concerned. See, it's God's plan and it's God's house. It's not yours. He didn't expect you to do it. The gift of faith Praise God. Father, we just receive right now your, 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 your place for this church in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that it will provide everything that's needed. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just heard the, the Holy Ghost say, yeah, tell them it ain't over. Tell them it ain't over yet. It's going to be going to be something good going to be something good coming your way but you tell your wife to wake up there <laughs> God's got a house for you does that mean anything to you huh is that something you've asked him for alright praise the Lord and uh, I'm, I, I sense that there are others in here 2022 has started um, kind of dull if you know what I mean but the Lord said 2022 is like people say about the month of March. March comes in like a lion and out like a lamb. But he said, tell them that 2022 is going to come in like a lamb and go out like a lion. So expect, expect some possessing and some repossessing to take place in this year of 2022. Glory to God. All right, we've gone long enough. I'll stop there. Thanks for bearing with me. And uh, come back tonight. We're going to have a good time. I'm going to finish strong tonight. Amen. God is so good. We want to invite you to continue to grow in the knowledge of His goodness, who He is, what He's done for you, and who you are in Him. Check out our websites at josephbosco.us and highwaychurch.us and begin living the abundant life He came to give you.